Today's episode is brought to you by Tua T Fitness and the Sounds in Cinema podcast. The Everything Sequel podcast contains explicit language. You have been forewarned. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Terminator edition. We're talking Terminator 3 today. My name is Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, the man who loves Terminator 3. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Unabashed lover, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Hello, Tom. Drop your weapons in the coffin. <laughs> I'd say if there was an image from this movie that, that, that sticks with me that I instantly see when I think of it, it is of Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Terminator machine gunning police officers whilst uh, carrying a coffin under one arm. It's the one thing I I remembered beyond anything else years after having seen the movie i think at that moment the the distinction between arnie's terminator and rainier wolfcastle's mcbane oh exactly there's no there's nothing there's nothing left between the parody and the reality at that point okay i mean well we'll get into it (laughs) i've told you about sleepless nights before oh and I tried to see this movie from your point of view. And I found myself kind of clawing up over a hill where I might say, you know, maybe Tom's right. And then it was like a brick wall came down. And I said, no. No, that movie doesn't have any fucking clue what it's doing. So I'm excited to talk about it with you. Mm. Right before we got on air, though, I I can't even believe I'm going to say... All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, a movie directed by Jonathan Mostow, who's done... This also alarms me. Mm -hmm. He's done movies like Surrogates and U571. Meh. Yeah. But he's directed Breakdown. And I uh-huh, fucking that's right. that, that's love Breakdown. Mm-hmm. Breakdown is a great movie. Yes, it is. Love it. But yeah. this movie has 69% on Rotten Tomatoes. Hey. I cannot believe it. That, I, that's, that surprises me. I thought this film was... I didn't think this film was as well regarded as that. But it it's it's closer to my estimation of the movie. I'm not Damn as it. off the critical consensus as I thought I was about this movie. If that's the case, and I'm way off the critical consensus, that makes me a bead of sweat. In another Arnold movie, Total Recall, when he notices that bead of sweat coming down. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I I am shocked this movie is that high. Hmm. 
I, I, I am, I am somewhat surprised, but you know, I, I understand why. I, I don't know when, where that percentage is coming from in terms of history. Yeah, but I just, I, do... I suspect that time has, has, has served this movie well. I think, I think once you're out of 2003, it's easier to see it as a as a movie about its time rather than of its time, which I think is what it came across as when when it was first released. That's part of my operational theory about what's good about this movie. If you say so. <laughs> <laughs> this movie don't get defeated already michael okay we know like i i we, we know that rotten tomatoes can be wrong about a lot of things they're wrong okay? about this i'll tell you that much this movie's not that good i i'm uh oh it's definitely i think it's definitely in that uh in that bracket wow well it has a budget of 200 million dollars it did have an opening weekend of 44 million dollars I was there. I'm sure I was too. <laughs> I'm sure you were too. Yeah. Uh, I don't even, that's the thing. I don't even bother mentioning it anymore. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, in the USA, it garnered $150 million. Yeah. So again, this is a movie that did not make its money back in the USA. Fascinating. And I, that's one of the reasons I think it's regarded as a failure within the producers themselves. When you make a Terminator movie... You want to make your money your money back. It did make four hundred thirty three point three million dollars in the world, though. So mm-hmm. the world came through for for the movie itself. This movie this movie doesn't look like they spent two hundred million dollars. No, I don't think the uh, I, I don't. But think... I got a lot to say about Arnie's salary. <laughs> um, I I don't think the. Uh... I don't think the effects in the movie are one of its achievements at all. I Thank have a lot you. Of gripe. I have a lot of gripes with, with, with the the digitalization of the Terminator aesthetic. I think you know. Thank you. In the most recent movie, they've found a real sweet spot between the kind of the old practical side of the Terminator aesthetic and the new digital one. But it, but we're still working that out here, and it, it's very clunky. Thank. Well, okay. At least I got that, because this is a two thousand. That's why T two is is uh, in the end a better movie, even though you know I have problems with that. Um, it, the, the, those kind of technical accomplishments uh, do make a difference. Well, and I well, I mean, we just kind of fundament fundamentally disagree on how mawkish you think that movie is. I don't think it's sickly sweet, like you do. I don't think, but you know, you know, looking at this movie, I actually think if if they'd have if they'd have owned the fact that it was sickly sweet, I wouldn't have had a problem with it because mm. I don't have a problem with the sickly sweetness of this movie mm-hmm. because it it has no pretense of being emotionally honest or sincere, and then when it does do sin- sincerity, it owns that too. There's a couple of really genuine moments in here which really stand out to me. And again, like as I said in the ranking episode, this movie owns the tone. It's a lot of different tones. They're all mashed together. That's sometimes hard to take. But when when they go for when they go for something, they really go for it. Generically, tonally, and I just respect the hell out of that. I am willing to be convinced. <laughs> I'm not sure you're right, but 
But at the very least, because I've talked about this several times, I think on the other podcast mostly, but because we've talked about a lot of movies from 2000 to 2005, and that's the sweet spot for <laughs> they think their effects are better than they are. So this is a 2003 movie. That's the saccharine spot. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, yes, I, I, I will concede to a level of 2003-ness, but uh, I think there's also a lot of social commentary in this movie that kind of is slightly more detached than most movies from that period are. All right. And well, because, I think... Because the movie goes to town on that, like it goes on town to everything else, uh, I'm, I'm willing to make that journey with it. But I, I guess my overall problem is it doesn't know what a Terminator movie should be, and that's just bothersome to me. No, I, I think it's trying to redefine the idea of what a Terminator movie is in a way that is just as legitimate as what we did with the last sequel. Oh, hoofa. All right. <laughs> as I was saying that, I realized I might have been saying that just to annoy you. <laughs> Mission accomplished. All right. Um, where to go from here? Well, let's. I mean, I have so many notes. Uh, I think we should just start at the beginning, start talking, and hopefully, <laughs> hopefully our well, I say hopefully our viewpoints will become clear. I think they're pretty clear at this point. Yeah. Well, no doubt. So uh, let me ask you right off the bat: yeah. What do you think of the inversion? That's the big conceit of this. The biggest. There are thousands. Yeah, but the biggest inversion to me is now the Terminator that is chasing everyone is a woman. I don't think that's much. I don't think that's as big a deal as 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 you suggest. I don't think that is the major inversion here. No. I I, I don't know what the major inversion is. As the movie goes on, they throw so many out. <laughs> I, I, I I honestly, it's inversion for inversion's sake. Mm-hmm. You know, even before we get to that, we've got the fact that John is now Sarah. Right. Living exactly the same life as Sarah with the the apocalypse night terrors and uh, uh, dark road voiceovers. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, you know, uh, an inverted parent-child relationship with Kate and her father. Her father's a war hero. She's, uh, she's you know... Uh, Working she's at the, the pet shop. Yeah, exactly. She's the let-down daughter. Um, which is, you know, flipping John and Sarah again. And this happens multiple times. We, You know, uh, it just it goes so far and it, it, you get inversions in literally every other scene. Yeah. You have an anti-Terminator Terminator, a Terminator who's no longer programmed to, to follow orders. It never ends. Right. And right. So, um, so in the big scheme of things, I don't think turning this Terminator into a woman is... is is a big deal. Uh, except, I mean, except in, I, I think in the first scene when she arrives, they, they do a lot of interesting kind of, uh, visual, like visual imagistic work with the idea that, that, uh, this idea of shattering traditional ideals of femininity, but that doesn't really go anywhere, but that really is just in that first scene. Right. Um, you know, she, she melts the mannequin. She breaks the glass of the, of the um, department store, you know, which is clearly breaking and the glass And she walks ceiling. to the rich woman's car. Yeah, and she inflates her breasts so the right. cop doesn't um, give her a ticket. Uh, 
and I, you know, I, there's some social commentary there. There's some kind of gender politics there. It's, uh, but it's also very broad and light. I like it. That's the thing about this movie. The whole movie is broad and light. No, it's not. Some of it is deeply bleak and bleaker than anything else in the in the series. That is all part of my respect for this movie that it's able to tread that line. Oh, uh... when it is bleak, it is beyond beneath the planet of the apes bleak. No, get the fuck out of here. Put, they put they have like a throwaway mushroom cloud about halfway through this movie, which they do again before the end of the movie, and then the world ends at the end of the movie. <laughs> so that's three times beneath the planet of the apes. Yeah, but uh, come on. You're it's, beneath the planet of the apes. About... You've got bullets to the head of your heroes. Uh, well... They threaten Kate. Uh, John threatens suicide at one point. All and about three quarters. All of the I'm way saying is, our heroes in this movie live. Our heroes in that movie die. Also, yeah, but they're the world only ones destroyed. On the world. They're, on, they're like one of the survivors of a nuclear apocalypse. World, that we see in, world on in that movie completely destroyed. World in this movie, yeah, apocalypse. But hey, we're gonna have a band of no, brothers. No, I think that... it's a, I think it's a huge deal. I think it's the it's one of the biggest swings in the, in the series tonally. In that last in the last quarter of this movie, it is nihilistic as fuck. Nothing that anyone does matters from about, you know, for, for the last 20 minutes of the movie. Well, that's what that's what I don't like, because but that's the movie... not a screenplay flaw, as you're clearly going to act like it is. <laughs> that is that is an intentional no. shift in tone. No, my problem is within the direction, because, yes, that's going on, but it still looks like a sitcom comedy. Yeah, but I but I, I you know, it could, movies can be more than one thing at once. Ugh. And sometimes you can combine the two. Sometimes we're playing things not just for laughs, but for extremely dark laughs. You know, I don't forget when they're when they're driving the car through the um through people's lawns and bouncing off you know inflatable pools and beach balls, and they're making <laughs> car car the sort of Halloween five clown car sound effects. I'm not forgetting about the fact that they could have easily mowed down about six children. And no one would have noticed. See, I think that's the movie's movie trying to show that it's forgetting. I, th- I think the movie's forgetting about that. And that I to me is... I don't know. I, I think this movie manages tone really well. Uh, and, and, oh, I think and just the opposite. Cha- and, just the opposite. Do. Wow. I know, but, and, and generic changes too. Um, You know, when, when... Such as? What do you mean? Well, so, early on in this movie, it becomes a slasher. And it takes that to, we get this mass killing of teens mm-hmm. that sort of happens by the by in the early part of the movie. And then we have a scene <laughs> that's straight out of a slasher movie where um, Kate is like being chased by the Terminatrix in her car <laughs> and she's fumbling for keys. Yeah. Like a really old fashioned horror movie. And I just, I, I appreciate those turns because they run with it. And, you know... Why be half-hearted about this if you're making the kind of movie where everything is on the nose and broad and, and, and pantomime? Can I throw you a bone? My favorite thing in this whole movie is Claire Danes. Yeah, I, like, I think Claire Danes is great. I, I, think, I, would, uh, I don't think she's my favorite thing in this movie, but she's great. I think she's the best actor in the movie. Mm, 
Yeah, yes, I, that's more about what she's done outside the movie. I'd say inside the frame of the movie, I think Nick Stahl is excellent too. Ugh. You don't like Nick Stahl? Not really. Oh my god. When Nick Stahl... You prefer Nick Stahl, accomplished Fear the Walking Dead cast member, to Edward Furlong, hey, time out, time out. No, you prefer... You, no, but you. you <laughs> sorry, the other. Yes, that's what I. That's what I prefer. Yeah. Wow. There's so, something. So that, let me let me let me approach this from another angle, okay? Because we're we're you know this is a deadlock here, okay? Yeah. And I'm not I'm not here to try and convince you to feel otherwise. I just want to know what what has happened outside of this movie that makes you hate it so much. <laughs> Because I, I'm, I'm, I'm picking up on something that There's is not one to thing. do with what is in the content of this movie, but is to do with the circumstances of you seeing it. Okay, I think I brought this up in our ranking episode. That, I that think you might have done, but I can I can sense that you've I got, said that there's, you've got there's more something... than a professional <laughs> dislike of this movie. There's something that that I saw regarding this movie that made me hate this movie even more. And I, I'll... I'll cop to it's not fair to the movie. Good. But I was watching a game show. It was a game show. And I mean, this game show is 15, 20 years old. What was the game show? I don't remember the name. Okay. But it was basically movie fanatics game show. Mm Mm-hmm. A question was posed to two contestants. <laughs> what is the best car chase in a movie ever? One of them picked the car chase from Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines. Okay, well, that person's clearly an idiot. And I... Boiling. My blood was boiling with anger. I was so mad at the contestant. And I admit that I have transferred my anger to the movie forever convincing a single soul that that car chase in this movie is anything other than a CGI catastrophe nightmare. Well, well I love this movie, and, and I'm, I'm willing to admit that it's a CGI catastrophe and that it's not nearly as good as, as uh, action sequences from the previous two movies. Thank you. But... Uh, well, that's my big... That was... I also rather like it. What, the car chase? I get... I also rather like that sequence <laughs> because I think the bone, there's the bones. It's it's filmed badly. There's too many weird zooms and spinning cameras for my liking. Thank but you. The bones of a tra- of a good traditional action sequence is is in there, and it just gives me mad view to a kill vibes. Because not only are they on the fire truck, but the on the tone, fire truck, right? The tone is exactly what we get in a view to view to a kill. Where you're like, <laughs> it's like the tone is all wrong here, and yet I'm responding to it in, a, in an entirely positive way. Oh, but man. I mean, it, and it, again, it's one of those moments where the the uh, the reality becomes the parody because it's another. I think he says something like "I'll drive" in that movie, which I'm sure is a McBain line. <laughs> right he pushes someone out of the truck and says I'll drive I'll and if drive. that is not in a McBain it so easily could be that there's basically no distinction right. anymore well okay so we have that going back to Nick Stahl nothing 
nothing in the Terminator series do I believe less than when they show Nick Stahl in the future rallying oh, yeah. the troops. They always fluff that, though. John Turner is always pointlessly recast. He's the most recast character yeah. in the history of Hollywood cinema. And So, let me ask you I this, mean, though. I mean, at least he looks like the John from this movie. In the last movie, it was just some guy. Yeah, with but... A scar. That we never see again. We have the guy with the scar in the last movie. I think that... Okay. You're gonna you're gonna ride my ass for this, I'm sure okay. of it. It's alright. But for Talk whatever reason, I think James Cameron does yep. work within Terminator 2 to make me believe that squeaky little timeout timeout Edward Furlong becomes that guy. Right. I believe that that guy was Something born about out the of the way he looks through binoculars. That kid. Yeah, exactly. We didn't see anything of that guy. I know. He's literally a stand-in. But I'm just saying, when I see that guy and I see Edward Furlong, I believe that Edward Furlong becomes that man. Because you like the movie better and you believe in it more than this. Yeah, probably. I don't think... I, I mean, I got to admit... I, I, but I, Nick Stahl looks... Yeah, that's just, I don't think that... I mean... Weirdly I out of place I think that's trying to lead choice. the troops. I think that's a bad choice. I don't know why we need to see old John Connor at all. Mm -hmm. um, apart from the fact that we're once again... And that might be part of it. Just that I hate the idea that they're making a 20-something-year-old kid try to look 50, and he clearly just doesn't, no matter how much you gray his hair. Yeah. No, I don't think, I don't think it's a good choice, but... Um... You know, they, they, they've decided to sort of reimagine the futurescape. Uh, and the only change is that it's digital, right? It's exactly the same imagery. Mm -hmm. And they're even repeating the idea of having old John Connor looking out on the horizon. Um, so it's, it's part of this movie sort of raking over of old territory. Um, which is not my favorite part of it. All right. Um, I think this movie dates itself with its TX fax machine. That made me laugh. Yeah, but I mean, again, <laughs> like, but it, I think it's fascinating. Like, once again, we're in this hybrid moment of technology. You know, in the last movie, it was about, like, screen technology being in between digital and practical. Here, we're in... You know, we're going. We're between uh, the age of the physical and the age of the internet. Like we right. have di at one point, the you know the Terminatrix plugs into the internet, and she still has to use dial-up. Yeah, which I thought was hilarious. Um, but also, you know, the, the the movie sort of gestures to that that we're in this kind of tr transitional moment, and it made me think that actually. The, the the internet revolution is uh, it's a pretty good excuse to make another Terminator movie because uh, it's a, just a different way in which we became dependent on machines that you couldn't have foreseen in 84 or even 91. Mm -hmm. And so they're just kind of, you know, they're just updating it. And yet we're still in this kind of weird transitional moment where you, you have the internet, but you also have things like fax machines um you you know you you have to you have to use a phone line to get onto the internet um 
And, you know, the movie addresses that. It also addresses the way that, you know, we're to the early 2000s is this kind of this hideous era of mass consumption. Like we see that everywhere. Right. And sometimes I think I sometimes we see that as a byproduct of product placement and, you know, just the sure. zeitgeist. And then other times I think it's very deliberately pointed up. I think I, I think that there are times in which we're meant to see what a like a the like. Uh, you think this up. movie was aware of that at that yes. at that time? Why else is why else is Arnie going around that AMPM, just like just like piling up snacks into? I mean that is that is like a this gross image of consumerism, that f- serves no narrative or plot function and it doesn't isn't a joke. And I See, think that's I think exactly I think going. they were going for a joke. Well, there's a joke. There's a joke at the. There's a punchline at the end of that, and it's got nothing to do with him stacking up snacks from the AMPM. I mean, I would you if you counter argument to that is that it that is that AMPM is their main sponsor, which is fascinating. Given we've gone from Pepsi to AMPM, as we saw with the Superman franchise, you can always track the franchise through. Yeah, the through the product placement. In Superman, All right. you went from Coke to Pepsi. Here we started with Pepsi. Now we're at AMPM. We're gonna well, do a lateral move. What's to that say about this movie to, for you, my friend? I tell you what. Why don't we I take love a break? AMPM. <laughs> I won't hear a word. I won't hear, I won't a, word hear a word against, against it. it. Very much like this movie. I won't hear a word against it. Where else All am right. I going to get my Velveeta and shells? <laughs> Let's take a break, and then we'll come back and we'll we'll dive deeper into Terminator Three. Yeah, All right? let's start. Let's start the movie. Right uh, when we get back. Very good. <laughs> right after this. Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out To A T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. To A T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing, arguing, battling about Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. Okay, Tom. Yeah. I'm going to throw out one of my biggest complaints about this movie, and I will ask okay. for a rebuttal. Okay. One of my first lines of grievances against this movie is, right. I never have a sense of danger in this movie. And that's so prevalent in the first two movies, it bothers me that it seems feels absent from this movie. Hmm. 
depends what you mean by danger. <laughs> because it definitely creeps up on you, but the stakes in this movie are much higher than they have been because at some point in this movie, later on in this movie, you realize, oh, we're not going to save the world like we did in the last one. We're just going to have to settle to with the fact that the world's fucked. <laughs> and that's a kind of danger, but I think I know what you mean. Uh, there's certainly a lack of, of threat um two individuals yeah. as there is in the in the in the last in the last movie but you know i mean I, none it, of the movies not down, even terminator 2 can capture not of, even terminator yeah. 2 can capture that overwhelming sense of dread from the first movie hmm it's kind of yeah it's sort of interesting it it, it, it this is not exactly what you're saying, but I think it's relevant. One of the things that strikes me about this movie and makes me more sort of generous towards it is that I think Terminator 2 really fucked them. If you see this as a non... You know, because you could also take the view that why do you need to do anything after Terminator 2? Just let it end there. It's clearly a very finite endpoint. We stop Judgment Day from happening. Oh, okay? I disagree, but... I'll save it for my... You mean you disagree? I'll save it for my well, I mean, pitch. I did. Okay, fair enough. Um, but here they have they have to basically say, okay, so there was a finality about ending this ending. What do we do now? And they do what they end up doing. In, in all, all the, the sequels. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, in all the sequels, you know, we, we create an alternate timeline where, you know... They're very, they're very explicit about it. Judgment Day didn't, didn't end. It was just delayed. Just delayed, right. Just <laughs> all it took was Claire Dane's father right. to be in the army and make yeah. army like decisions. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's it's just I, that's where I get the sense of danger from here. That the direction the movie's going in is this. It's this. It's this creep. There's a creeping overall sense of of dread that nothing we do can change anything. And I find that terrifying on a philosophical level. And that's where I think this movie is thought. Okay. So that... Way that it might not seem like, and here's my anecdote about watching this. Uh -huh. movie. I went to see this on opening weekend. It was the middle of the Edinburgh festival, mm. which I was performing at. And you know, you when you surround you're surrounded by like experimental, challenging theater, right? For a long period of time, you just you just need something to cut through that occasionally. <laughs> so we I solved went... it. This is why you love the no, movie. No, 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 no. The, the, there's a twist here. There's a okay. twist. So I was just like, oh, I'm t you know, I'm tired of seeing all these all this fucking mime and you know satire and i just want to go and see something stupid at the at the, at the movie theater yeah so, terminator you know, 3 rise of the machines on? terminator 3 i was stupid. like perfect you know i've heard this this isn't even good you know i've heard that like it's a terminator movie so it's already an act it's already like a big action movie and i heard it's shit fantastic i'm gonna go in there i'm gonna turn my brain <laughs> off and that was the actual like the reverse happened i came out 
probably I don't remember anything I saw at that year of the Edinburgh Festival, any show or anything like this. This movie stuck with me. Wow. Because it, it just it's so like just the ideas that it throws out there, which, you know, like big, big Hollywood movies don't always have so many ideas and don't take these kind of chances that this movie did. Um, it didn't feel safe. The last Terminator 2, looking back on it, feels very safe for in a lot of ways, very conventional in a lot of ways. This movie doesn't feel conventional to me at all. And something about that, something about oh man, I'm the total opposite. It feels I know, but so I'm just telling you conventional. how I feel. I would be dishonest if I and didn't. So if I tried to disguise soft this. in its choices, that the philosophical ideas behind it, I, I it they never enter my mind when I watch it. And this time around, and this is jumping, this is jumping ahead, but it's okay. We're all over the place here. We're just, we're, we're, we're just, you know, this is. <laughs> Crossfire. That's because we're trying right. to wrangle this, is, this huge this is, fucking bull of a dumb movie to the ground. Everything sequel to Crossfire edition. Um, and I'm sure most people think I'm Tucker Carlson in this, <laughs> uh, in this dynamic. Um, but <laughs> but uh, I do have his hair. But um, <laughs> yeah, I just like in on this view, what really struck me is like a question. Like by the end of the movie, I thought completely differently about John Connor and it gave me something about as John a character Connor. as a person what do you mean as a character as a as as a character and as a figure uh-huh. like at some point like late on in the movie I started to sort of drift once I realized that you know because it was terrible characters nothing can nothing can stop this <laughs> apocalypse happen, happening right. they made that very clear at a certain point in this movie. Yeah. And then I started to, you know, as a springboard thought, I, I started to think, is John Connor just the leader of the revolution because he's he survived? Because he was in the right place at the right time? It feels like that at the deal. end when the other base calls and he's like, I'm John Connor. Yeah, yeah he's like, John Connor, yeah. I'm the guy who's here. Yeah, right. Um, and then earlier on, you know, they say, it's like, well, it's all, you know, like, paradoxes. They may also make the point that paradox is about coincidence. Like, we're working back from something that's already happened. So there's no intentionality. And for some reason, I found, as a philosophical idea, that that just, that really illuminated my thoughts in that moment. And every time I've seen this movie since it began, I've had the, you know, I've had the same thing. This, this just movie just kind of, I respond to it. I think there is something about the way it goes full throttle on every everything it's trying to do, which is a lot. A lot. <laughs> um, to the point, for me, it's so much that it's to the point of I'm not sure that Jonathan Mostow knows what he wants to do. So the movie feels cluttered and haphazard. Well, and yeah, I mean, you can you can you can absolutely you know, it, it's. When it's com- I think it's when it's comic. It's very comic. It's all you know. When I comic, think you're being generous. No, when it's comic, it's full on slapstick, and you but know, not I'm, funny. Uh, Talk to the hand. I think it's I, I I for some reason that that totally lands with me. I think <laughs> maybe it's the place that Arnie's in as an actor. He's come through the kindergarten cop era. He's he's done junior and 
and yet he's got a detachment from that. I think he's actually, I think he's very funny in this in this movie. Hmm. I think he's starting to nail comedy. Um, I mean, he'll get better at it. I think we see the best example of that in the most recent movie. But uh, yeah, I definitely see a more accomplished, rounded actor than I did in the last movie. Oh. Um. And I think, uh, and sadly, I think a big part of it, and this is going to annoy you, is that he has more more comedy and parody and pastiche to play with, and that, and he he sort of because he's applying such a dry acting style to it. No, I might I might go with you more. there. You're probably right um, about that. But then at other times, you know, it's pure McBain, um, like putting the star glasses on his face. I love everything about that sequence. I'm sorry. I, I, I unapologetically, because, and again, there's more to it than you. There's more to it than it seems. Like it's like I get that you could look at it from the outside and go, "That's just a stupid joke." That's what I wrote. That's, Every joke, terrible. That it's you know we're just we're just saying talk to the hand because it's a contemporary thing. You know when his when his uh, Terminator vision is saying inappropriate. <laughs> And that sort of stuff is like, okay, yeah, that's a very, that's very like 2003, not good humor. Um, but if you actually step back and think about it, first of all, like, you, so in the first movie, it's uh, punks, street punks at the Griffith Observatory, mm-hmm. right? Second movie, hillbillies in a bar. Biker bar. You keep selling, saying hillbillies. I get... The woman has hillbilly I get on that the there's shirt. a shirt James that Cameron's says hillbilly. Me it's a hillbilly. But it's a biker bar. I know it's... I know, but she has hillbilly written on her shirt. Whatever. Move like, on. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, I'm just going with what James Cameron gave me. A biker um, bar. And in this movie, it's it's like... I was like, well, what, what do we do next? And it's like ladies' night. What they do next is where... the broadest stereotype of a gay person. Okay, yeah. Fair enough. But but beyond that is... like The concept beyond that is... Uh, this iconography... His costume is so dated now. How do we... You know, how does he just pick up that costume... Uh, the, you know, James Cameron's idea was it's a biker bar, so here's where he gets the leathers and the shades. Here it is. It has to be a gay stripper. <laughs> who is a gay stripper, who is a, like a gay retro stripper, is the only way that Arnie gets his clothes. That more than anything else puts... might convince me. That's funny. And then, and then he puts, and then he puts those shades on, and it's you know, it's about. And then Macho Man comes in on the soundtrack. And it's like, first of all, I don't think that's better or worse than Bad to the Bone in comic terms. But th- but even more than that, uh, it's like, I can see the intent here. Let's puncture this macho image that, that uh, Arnie, the Arnie in Terminator as a franchise has. Like, I get it. I get the intent behind the, uh, behind the joke. Oh, I and, think, th- I think, I get the intent behind the joke of Bad purposes, to the Bone. they walk it back. And for your work purposes, like, okay, we've had our funny, you know, <laughs> Werner Herzog in The Simpsons, we've done a lot of funny things now, <laughs> but now it is serious. Yeah. Um, then he does the real shades. Like, he throws away those shades, and I bet everyone forgets that he does that. I forgot that he did By the way, this is... And then he gets his real Apropos shades. of nothing, but Barry Sonnenfeld was recently on Smartless, 
And they opened that show with, I think, uh, one of the guys, I forget who, but they insisted that he that they call him so that they could hear his ringtone, which is Warner Herzog saying, Barry, answer your phone, Barry, answer your He made him record that so that he could use it as his ringtone, and it was brilliant. Why was Werner Herzog calling Barry Sonnenfeld? That's what I want to know. Well, no, he just saw him somewhere, and he said, "I want you. Okay. I want you to say this into my phone." Oh, and he was I saying, see, "Why? See, Why see. would you want me to do yeah. that?" And he said, "Because I want this as my ringtone." Uh, that's that's it was pretty great. And I, you know, the, the, to me, there's a there's more honesty in accepting the fact that you were doing everything for the sake of a punchline than pretending you're not. And that's what bad to the bone. That's how that. I disagree. I don't think bad to the bone is pretending to be anything other than the joke that it is. But this, but but this is making you know if if that's clear to you as a joke, then this must be crystal clear. Yeah, it's just not as funny. Like he because it, it's, in, he rises in the to me it's over the top. The desert, it's a bit. It's just a bit too much tonally. But it goes through with it. Like it makes that leap. It leans like. It leans into it. If and you know, going back to Rocky Five, if if you're gonna do a terrible thing, don't be insecure about it because that's worse. Mm-hmm. And all I see in Cameron's approach to kind of comedy and emotion is he's insecure about doing this. All I see about Jonathan Mostos here is like, yeah, let's have fun, let's push it to the limit, let's let's make you know, let's have an intro for Arnie that is entirely about getting to this punchline. All right, fine. Let me ask you this. In terms of the Terminators showing up on in our time, whatever time it is, because they Mm -hmm. literally change it for every single movie. Do they, though? Yeah. But doesn't this movie set the trend that we'll always do this? No, because the first movie or or rather the second. So the first movie, you don't ever see the bubbles. You just see the lightning. Okay. True. In the second movie, you introduce the bubbles. In this movie, they take the bubbles a little bit further. Now, that might just be it's an egg. based on where they are. It's an egg. Yeah. This time. It's a full-on it's egg. It's an egg. But isn't this the one where Arnie lands in the sand and there's it creates glass? I was just going to say that. that. Yeah, but... I liked that. Oh, you yeah, do? Yeah, I do. I cannot figure out your attitude towards this movie. <laughs> I could have sworn you would have hated it. No, that. that I like. I love it. I I think it's great because and but by the time just, we get to Terminator that... Dark Fate, it's no longer hot; it creates cold. So they're mm. always changing it. That's interesting. I hadn't really, I hadn't really clocked that. All I really, apart from you know that that's a great punchline that the sand turns into into glass. Also, there are tumbleweeds there. There's snakes. Yeah. It's like a soundstage from again a, from a CGI snake Western. though. True. Um. And it, yeah, it just cut kind of, so. But it struck me that like you know people like to sh- like to shit on this movie, like to think of it as a minor sequel. But when you've only done the the two Terminators appearing at the same time once, this is the this is what solidifies that as the formula. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the next movie could have. I guess the next movie doesn't, but. 
moving forward. In the next movie, it's like it hey, two two minute two and right up to modern day. You know, two, two Terminators arrive and they're you know they have their missions. One's a hero, one's a yeah. villain. Right. That's but that's only standard from this point forward, which I think is kind of like you know. A lot of people will try and deny the influence of this movie on the rest of the series, but I don't think that's the case. All right. Well, let me. I've got to say, in story terms, there's there's got to be a simpler way to bring two characters together than an animal hospital drug theft story. <laughs> okay. Thank you. <laughs> I my note is vet hospital showdown. This. It feels like such a, it's such a specific story idea. It feels like George Costanza wrote it, you know, like sentenced to be a butler. Exactly. It's, it's that's so, that you know, it's, it's so funny you say that because I had a thought of this is a butler story because Claire Danes has to get a call that seems as though it's in the middle of the which, night at home. Which is not how animal hospitals And that's just not work how they work. <laughs> there's not dog there's not vets on yeah. call. You For some old grandma who... Because a cat swallows a furball. Exactly. It doesn't happen. Because it's not even a real emergency. This whole animal hospital thing is... It feels it feels like an early draft that, that they couldn't think of anything better be, so to, to that, replace it with. It's funny you say that because that's the other thing. Like I have turned in drafts to my good friend, Kristen Fogel, of things we're working on where I knew I was shitting the bed. Like, I had not come up with an idea how to fix it. Mm. And that's how this felt. The fact that yeah, no, the I... vet hospital where they know each other, they went to high school together. Like, if if Kristen had read that, she would have, and I had written it, she would have said, so you have to fix that, right? And I said, yeah, it's just a placeholder. I don't know how to fix no, it I yet, can... but I'll fix it later. It is a total placeholder. <laughs> and what's interesting about it as well, it, it's like it doesn't even need to be an animal hospital because we never see any animals. Right. We see one shot of a barking Doberman. That is it in the entire movie. And so it's just it's like weird. It's like we're so focused on this idea of uh, there's a feline emergency. It's an animal hospital called out in the middle of the night. <laughs> we never see any animals. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 l- ludicrous. You know, it's, it is. It's absolute. It's absolutely. And then ludicrous. the the absurdity is compounded by the fact that all so all the shenanigans happen, right? She locks she locks John up in, into a crate. He eventually escapes, but the Terminatrix shows up. You have the horror movie action going on. Then oh, Arnold yeah, shows that. up. Then they have a battle. Then they're escaping in the pet truck. Mm-hmm. And. Rather, John. John escapes in the pet truck, not knowing that Claire Danes is in the back. Right. And then in the next scene, both Arnold and the Terminatrix, in a sea of firemen and police officers, are just walking around completely unchecked. Mm -hmm. Nobody's even saying, hey, get out of the area. We got shit to do. Like, nobody even notices them. And then this starts the big, you know offensive car chase. Are we into the, the car chase that quickly? Yeah, because that's how bad this movie is. We go from one set, one set piece into an immediate second set piece. Yeah, that's the other I, thing I, about I, this movie. It's just that, laboring that this movie, to get to the but, next set piece. 
But th- no, 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 no. Yes, the, yes, so yes, yes, yes. Roots, <laughs> roots of the series, exposition on the go. The pace of the movie does not stop. And what I noticed about Terminator 2 is when they get very sad and emotional about things, the pace goes like that. Never here. <laughs> and we know Claire, Dane is, Claire Danes is going to cry at some point because that's what she does. Right, we know Claire Danes gonna cry. Does she? I don't even but remember we don't her stop crying in this movie. To watch movie. her cry, we keep her in a moving vehicle, and I think I I don't I don't see it as laboring from one set piece to another. I just feel like this movie never stops, and and it shouldn't. No, I feel more we like it has no ideas. Shooting so let's go to another set guns. piece. Nah, because the set pieces are not are not the like the stars of the show. They're trying to be. They're just all I failing miserably. So. I don't think so. At all. One, there's too many of them. <laughs> right. Thank you. They're just, but but if there's that many set pieces, they're just scenes. Right? Set pieces are like, have to be standout to be set pieces. You just talk, you're talking about scene transitions. What I'm talking about is possibly a director that doesn't know how to direct. Well, he's and filled and his one, movie with forget. set pieces, not realizing that you just can't have back to 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 back Apparently to you back can. set pieces. Apparently you can, and I'll watch it. I and wish I speed. had. Speed. I wish I at speed. least had Rotten speed. Tomatoes to back me up. <laughs> this is fucking horseshit. Sixty-nine percent. Fuck. Yeah, you know. It's, uh, it's so it's upsetting. But when the crane... So mm. we have that whole set piece with the car chase. Yeah. And when that CGI crane truck flip happens, I'm kind of like a dealer on their last deal. Like, I'm out. Hmm. Okay. I, it, doesn't, it doesn't bother... Again, it, it doesn't bother me. It take. I take everything this movie does with a pinch of salt because the movie tells me to. <laughs> this is strange criticism coming from a man who likes Rocky IV for for like who is who like invests in who's able to invest in a movie. Well, I guess that you're movie not is that, that it's intent that it's intentional yes. absurdity, yeah. right? That's what that's your big gripe. Okay. Um. But I think this movie makes good. I don't know. Sometimes I think this movie makes good. I don't think Rocky Four. I don't think Rocky Four is trying to be anything other than it is. I think this movie is trying to be something else. I think this movie is just trying to be fun, as fun with everything as it can be, or as big. I think this movie thinks it's action packed with great jokes. I think it has weak jokes. With action that makes me yawn. I don't... I don't know. I don't know what the weak jokes are supposed to be. Talk to the hand. It's not a weak joke. (laughs) It's a perfectly executed bit of comedy. I'm sorry, it is. God damn it. It's it's character-based. It's like timed and paced over as a runner really well. I don't... I don't... I I just... I I can't see... I'm sorry, I, I can't see that from um, from your point of, point of view. Yeah, um, likewise. Um, I know, I know. All right. Well, why don't we, let's maybe take another break. Okay. I could use a damp towel. 
You are a dumb towel. <laughs> dumb towel over this movie. <laughs> Fucking blowing up my TV set so I can't watch Proudly. it. We'll take a break and we'll come back and argue right after this. If you like podcasts like I do, boy, do I have a treat for you. You need to stay on target and check out the Sounds and Cinema podcast. Listen as your host, sound designer and music creator, Tony Parham, and co-host, musical performer and sound lover, Derek Hansen, D-Rock if you're nasty, and I am, discuss all things sound related to film, television, stage, and theatrical productions. They discuss environmental sounds, bioacoustics, dialogue, the nature of communication through sound. But as an added bonus, they drink beer and try to... Stay on target. Find them wherever you get your podcasts and listen to the pure mania of a man who can charitably be described as Doug, the dog from Up, and another man with a soothing and sultry voice trying to get that man to... Stay on target. That's the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. Tune in and listen to the sounds they are creating just for you. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here trying to figure out why he watched Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines wrong. <laughs> What's that you just said about yourself? <laughs> I mean, well, so where do we go next? I mean, we talked about this car chase. Do you want to say anything else about the car chase? No, I, I, it, it, it just breezed by me. All right. It was fine. Because then we go to the cemetery, right? <laughs> yeah, we do. We go to the cemetery. This is where we get. How could you not enjoy this sequence? You're dead inside <laughs> it's or something. Ridiculous. Is that a bulletproof coffin? <laughs> well, it's... Uh, so, first of all, so... This is a big deal legacy-wise, isn't it? Because Linda, Linda, Linda Hamilton's Sarah Connor has died somewhere between this movie and the last one. In the timeline. So we're told. Right. And I'll stick up for the interim storytelling between these two movies. I think they do a pretty good job of that. Uh, I, I buy a lot of it. Um, now, she she didn't want to come back, or she uh, what did or did they just kill her off? Did they not want her? I can't remember. I don't remember. It might have been a uh, James Cameron's not involved. I don't want to do it because that was the big thing with Arnie for a long time. Mm, he wasn't going to do it. <laughs> He wasn't going to do it without James Cameron. And finally, the thing I I referenced this earlier. I said I have a lot to say about it. And then didn't talk about it. But <laughs> it was James Cameron that said his his actual words to Arnold Schwarzenegger were take the money and run. Mm. And that's what this whole movie feels like no, to me. No, 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 no. Don't care about anything about the no, movie. No, no. Take the money and run. No, everyone's way too invested for that. I'm sorry. So much so, Tom, that 
I, I'm gonna find it because there was there was a thing on IMDb about the number of hours and lawyers involved in creating the contract for Arnold Schwarzenegger for this movie. Okay. That put anything else that had ever happened in Hollywood to shame, apparently. Well, I don't think he looks uninterested on screen, but all I was going to say about um, uh, the... No, I, I... Yeah, I don't think he looks uninterested. You're right. The Sarah... Like, the Sarah Connor exit. I think the whole movie looks uninterested. <laughs> she was but not him. Such a dick. Um, so, <laughs> couple of beers in you. You're so it's like... <laughs> going out looking for a fight. Um... <laughs> I, I I thought it I, it's it's interesting like so Linda Hamilton's gone they t- <laughs> she's now a, she's replaced by a, a, a the car and the character of Sarah Connor is replaced by a coffin full of guns <laughs> so not only did the film kill her off they turned her into a box of shrapnel yeah which I think is 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 hilarious and then John has what is quite a heartfelt eulogy to Ugh. to his mother if you say so. And it, you know, it pays the ultimate respect to the character in their life. So they're not a, they're not sort of. I don't. It feels like maybe they're abandoning the actor, but not the character. I was gonna say they are. They at the very least are not abandoning the character. Yeah. I'll, I'll give the movie that they they at least pay homage to the person. But you know, if not the actor, as compensation for for uh, legacy actor and character, who do we have, Mike? Who turns up in this scene? Oh yeah, the doctor, Doctor Silverman. Yeah. Right? Uh, but again. But again, it's fantastic. It feels like a reach. Again. It feels like a reach. <laughs> of course, it's a reach. It's almost self-consciously a reach. There's no way he should be there. Right. But it takes care so of again, a piece of tone, storytelling. Tone, tonally stupid. A mess. It's a it's a ca- it's it's a cameo for a cameo's sake. And yet, I love him so. I love the actor yeah. so much that I'm always glad to see him. It has. It's just a great payoff. It's just a nice button for that character. It's like a like they they turn the idea of him coming back each time into like crossing paths with some kind of Connor as a as a running gag. And I I love I love that he sees Arnie again and then runs out of shot. It's a fantastic yeah. payoff for that character. I, I do like, I'll say this, because in a scene of replete with shit that I don't like, yeah, the, okay. the one thing I do like is him sort of referencing the idea of him discounting himself everything he experienced in Terminator 2, where he says... You know, you convince yourself you saw exactly. some things that you couldn't possibly see. What I mean, good interim storytelling. Yeah. Good, like, off-screen building the world between then and now. Just like the That's fine. Just like the detail that Kate, you know, that, that Kate uh, remembers that John was wanted for the murder of his foster parents and he disappeared. That's nice. That's a nice little detail thrown in there. Yeah. I mean, she, you know, she's one of those characters that should have been in Terminator 2, but isn't. Unless I'm very much mistaken. But I don't think she is. <laughs> At least it's not a 48 hours situation where you haven't even seen the first one. In my head canon, she's one of those kids at the arcade. 
<laughs> but I don't think she. I don't think it's a Marie from Rocky. Rocky Balboa. She's like situation. the kid in the. She's the kid, like out in the mall that says, "Yeah, I think he's over there at the arcade." That's what I want to believe, but I don't think that's the case. Um, right. Because they probably would have mentioned that. Uh, and I don't know whether it's at this point or you would probably say earlier on, but this movie I think has like subtext Tourette's. Oh. Like it can't, it can't like keep a beat piece of subtext to itself. So in John's eulogy, he sort of says that you know. I don't think of a lot when I think of Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines. I don't think subtext. But you know, but basic things like he's the closest thing I ever had to a father. It's like you know, we all kind of know that, but now you blow sure. it. And this happens like again and again uh, throughout the movie. Um. I gotta say, I like the I like the relationship between John and the Terminator a lot better in this movie. I think it plays nicely off oh, the first two movies me. because, like in the last movie, arguably their relationship is too sentimental. Obviously, they don't have a relationship in the first movie, but he's a villain, and this is somewhere but nice, sweet spot between the two. It's like do, I don't know if I trust him now. Instinctively, I want to because of what I went through in the last movie, but you know, this is a Terminator. But as an audience member, you know that Arnold's never. You know that he's the good guy. You know that he's not going back to the bad guy. So you know that that's not ever a But you threat. don't know what his mission is. It's a different mission. And that's made very clear. And he's a different Terminator. He's a different character. And he's channeled that, you know, it's not now like, you know, robot learns humanity thing anymore. It's like, okay... <laughs> I'm I'm I'll learn emotions uh, to be you know it's like a psychologist almost. I'll to blend in. Yeah, uh, but it's like but it's not like I'm growing as a character from the, from the robot. It's he's it's like somewhere between the two. Like he understands emotions but he can't employ them. And in the last movie it was like, you know, I do not understand this thing you call emotion. Uh, and that, but but he was basically <laughs> weeping by the end of the movie. So I think this is a much nicer area for these characters to to be in for me. Um, if the tone of the movie around all of that was better, maybe I'd go with you. But so to me, the tone in the second movie actually works, right? As opposed to. I get what you're saying about where the character sits, yeah. but everything around that is absurd. <laughs> and in the in the previous movie, they they gelled together better for me. Okay. Yeah. Well, again, again, that's a fundamental disagreement. I see. Right. I see that as a as a weakness, and this more as a strength. Speaking of comedy movies, um. When the car is cut in half and they're driving away, I realize how much this movie resembles Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. <laughs> I think if you played those two movies alongside each other, it would sync up pretty well. And that's a good thing? It's a thing. Okay, fine. It's a thing that I noticed <laughs> that, that did not in any way affect my opinion about the movie, but I noticed it. Um, well, so, and it's right around here because, I mean, we talked about this before, but so, I mean, we have a bit, again, we go from set piece to set piece because we go from the car chase 
to the grave site, mm. which turns into another set piece and another chase. Yeah. And then they get away from the Terminatrix. And then it becomes a real time thriller. If you out of oh, nowhere. Right, right, right. So then they There's go a to AMP. The rest of the movie. Yeah. An hour into the movie, the second hour of the movie is like a real time thriller. So. I think what well, you're talking you about this, though, because set piece to set piece is more intentional than it seems. I think Ugh. we're against the clock. Well, he takes the thing out. We have the small <laughs> nuclear bomb the, explosion. The, the you throwaway were referencing atom bomb earlier. Moment, yes, the throwaway atom bomb, which is the comical not, atom bomb, which moment. is fa- which is a flippant attitude towards uh, nuclear apocalypse. I think T- towards destruction that will of be humanity. Triple downed on by the end of the movie. Right. Which I like. But how do you feel about... Because in this movie, now we're introducing something we've never seen before within Terminator. Mm. Yeah. What, hit that he's got a atom bomb inside him? Yeah. Okay. Fair game? Um. Don't give a shit? I don't give a shit. I, I, I mean, it's basically to set up how he finally defeats the Terminatrix, right? Right, but it also feels convenient yeah. from a writing oh, standpoint. Yes. Yeah, I, again, I, as 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 with the Animal Hospital, I do not think the, the strengths okay. of this screenplay lie in some of the uh, plot construction. But like we referenced, I think, in our ranking episode, then other movies borrow from it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. All right. Well, it's not. It, it's. Oh, do you want to do you want to learn about Arnold's contract? Go ahead. <laughs> it's contract law corner. His fee was twenty nine point twenty five million dollars, a record at the time. Worth every penny. Thirty three pages long. <laughs> That's just because it was the third movie. Written between June 2000 and December 2001. Oh. Which is, what, two years before the movie came out? Yeah. Wow. It was a pay or play fee. For those that don't know, that means he gets paid whether the movie's made or not. His perk package included a lump sum of $1.5 million for private jets. Mm-hmm. A fully equipped gym trailer, three bedroom deluxe suites on location, round the clock limousines, and personal bodyguards. He also insisted on and got 20% of the gross receipts made by the venture from every market in the world, including movie theaters, videos, DVDs, television licensing, in flight entertainment, game licensing, and so on. Once the movie had reached its cash break even point. Mm. Now, contingent compensation like that is not usual in movie contracts, it says. But also, Hollywood kind of famously uses smoke and mirrors to make sure to define break-even in a way that it's always for producers and, you know, for for the production company and not so much for actors. And usually it's so that they, like, a, a production company will define it so that uh, a movie never breaks even. Yeah, right. It's a system. And in this case, 
In this case, it was kind of ironclad. Schwarzenegger also got to decide who worked with him. So he had pre-approval, a pre-approval clause that gave him choice for director, principal cast, hairdressers, makeup, and his driver, and his stand-in, and his stunt double. Well, he makes a very good casting director, I'd say. That's Uh, fucking impressive. The only thing that stands out to me is truly gratuitous in there. Just putting this contract together cost $2 million. Okay, that. But, um, (laughs) you know, outside of what I know about Schwarzenegger and Hollywood, is the gym trailer. Yeah. There's no reason why he has to be in shape for this movie. It's made very clear at an early point of this movie that he is useless as... Uh, That's one of my problems with the movie, though. He went out of his way to work out to a point that he had the exact shape and size definition that he did in Terminator 2. So he made his body look exactly like it did in Terminator 2, but he is clearly a man more than a decade older than he was when he... So they're trying and, to make yeah. him into the Terminator he was, and he's just not. But that's that's obviously his vanity, because in the screenplay, he doesn't... He can look 10 years older because he's an obsolete design. They say that explicitly. Mm-hmm. So I think that's his... You know, that's, that's his fault. <laughs> the movie doesn't need him to do that. I think that's All just right. for his own vanity. Um... Because he says, you know, I'm an obsolete design, and uh, it's it, there's no um, there's no sense that he can beat the Terminatrix on on her own terms. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> then I re- you're not gonna like this. I see in my notes I wrote coffin bullshit, cops bullshit, getaway bullshit. Good, good Everything was bullshit for me. Um, how do you feel? Let's <laughs> say, how do you feel? Uh, baby fat Chris Hardwick? That's my next note. I was just going to bring it up. <laughs> give, it, give, it gave me major Kevin Smith in Die Hard vibes. Yeah. Um, but it also had a, a note of both sadness and triumph because this is clearly when he was probably still drinking. And um, then I know I that know he I know that he got sober. Yeah. And so he's the lean, mean fighting machine that he is today. He looks better today than he did in 2003. Oh, but by a long way. But yeah. I, I just thought like it made me also think how similar a movie this is to um Die Hard 4.0 in lots of ways. <laughs> like if you, you where Bruce Willis is in his career at that point, where yeah. I is, like there's a sim, the similar going on with uh, Star Persona, and yeah. um, <laughs> this this uh, when we get we get to Skynet, <laughs> I gotta admit the the, the come on when we get to that Skynet bathroom fight, goofy as fuck. Thank you. It's like Robbie. Everything is Robbie the robot. It's um. <laughs> uh, I just the, <laughs> just the Skynet. Like the first of all, like everything either looks too much like the robots that the model shots that we saw in the original movie, mm-hmm. like a digital version of them, or 
the, the sort of ro- it's like a fat short circuit going around the robot dog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's not impressive at all. As a, as a, I expected, I expected to hear, "Hey, rubber lips." Yeah, exactly. Um, I just, it's just a, it, it does. It doesn't convince. I don't think it's my note was. Boy, does this feel like a bunch convince. of movie sets? <laughs> yeah, it's all. It's like airplane obvious kind of technology to me. Mm-hmm. Like when there's a screen that said, you know, when they when they finally put Skynet online to kill the super virus, it's like execute Y slash N, and I'm like, I don't think it really comes down to this. <laughs> right. There's probably a few buffers in and around that. Um, and by the way, it's like it's like someone who doesn't, you know, someone who does. Going back to Superman three, it's people who don't know about computers trying to put yeah. computers on stream. That's the and also in the military, the higher ups they give orders, <laughs> and the other people they take orders. It's not a situation where the higher up. Claire, you know, Claire Dane's dad says, all right, I'll do it myself. But I like that because I, I like that. I like what that does for the character because it, it, it doesn't it doesn't vilify him. It's like, I, well, we're going to do this. I'm going to own it. I'm not going to pretend that I was forced into doing it. I'm going to own it. That's the key to this movie. <laughs> There's an emotional honesty that you about the characters that comes out there's now and an again. emotional dishonesty about no, it no, there's no, 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 no. a military man would say push the button soldier yeah but he's making but it's like it's you know it's like i'm gonna lead you know like i'm gonna lead my people into battle i'm not gonna sit at the back of the line and watch you die that's what that is it's a perfectly good character moment whatever <laughs> <laughs> I also like the fact that in this sequence it becomes abundantly clear that this movie cannot simply quote lines from previous movie. They have to do some kind of ersatz version of it. <laughs> She'll be back. Right. Is a good one. Yeah. Um, they they were obviously like, no, we can't just say the same thing again. We got to twist it a little bit. She'll be back. Fine. You know, we're back to the animal hospital. It'll be fine. It's a placeholder. It'll do. Arnold's Arnold's wide stance truck smash. Mm. I there's so uh, Arnie fights the fat short circuits. That's an underwhelming scene. Um, I do wonder Thank whether you. because like wh- thank God he had a second a second nuclear bomb to fucking detonate. When I see when I see like. When they do the the kind of future helicopter thing, it looks so much like the one in the original does. And the last movie made such a big deal about upping the you know upping the production right. values. I do wonder whether they're going for a purposefully eighties look here, because they have. A, oh, I don't. Elsewhere in the movie, they have this kitsch nineteen fifties retro atomic age thing going on, like the diner, the drive through at the beginning the retro sci-fi diner and then the bomb shelter at the end. Oh my God, you give this movie so much credit. This is is production design. People think about these things. I don't know. There are are things here that are are not an accident. Like, for instance, I mean, we're going... I think it's all an accident. It's it's no accident (laughs) that he says, we'll meet again. 
which is the song that ends Doctor Strangelove, which also ends with a nuclear apocalypse. Yeah, okay, alright, fine, I'll give you that. That it looks like, that the bomb shelter looks like a... How dismissive that look was right there you gave me. <laughs> well, nobody sees that, thankfully. <laughs> As far as, it's, it's like the Nixon-Kennedy uh, debate in 60. <laughs> the people on radio <laughs> said that Nixon won. <laughs> but if they could see us, they'd be totally on Mike's side. <laughs> because Mike's just sitting there innocently saying things. I'm shooting daggers at him, pointing my finger like a it's fucking so... moron. <laughs> like fucking Harrison Ford on crack. Double CGI chopper crash don't like no i I, t- I, t- I tell you what is what is possibly like the the, the stupidest part of the movie even though i like oh, there's so much to choose from i like the intention of it and i think it's a famously stupid moment from this movie is where john and and kate are running uh in the air hang the airplane hangar to the plane mm-hmm. and as she's running she says my father trained me on this when i was a kid Oh yeah, so, that's my that's one of my last notes. Oh, it's like it's sublime. I love the fact it's exposition on the move, which is is very in keeping with the series, but done in the worst possible way. It's easy. That line represents the whole movie to me, the clunkiness of it. And and even uh, I mean, I think it probably is a little bit self spoofing. I know you're gonna hate that me saying that, but um, but what's also funny about it is. There's an easier way to do this, which is that John said, you know, John could say, yeah, my mother trained me how to fly planes when we were mercenaries. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, how about, how about, how about they both start going for the driver's side of the cockpit? Well, I don't buy that she knows how to fly a plane. <laughs> She's a vet. <laughs> I don't understand. Like, I can't see a backstory in which her dad is like, well, "This is you're gonna need this. You're gonna need this one day." So you just want to put the woman down. I get it. Ah, you know that's not what I'm doing. <laughs> more subtext. More subtext. Tourette's. You remind me of my mother. We don't need that. We already see the mm. Sarah comparison. That was. I didn't like that. I thought that was really gross. I didn't like that at all. Yeah. Don't compare your future, the future mother of your children, to your mom. Well, when you have subtext Tourette's, and your subtext <laughs> is incest, yeah, right? It's not compatible. That's true. <laughs> and uh, I was, yeah. So I mean, oh, overall, I mean, I I like what they do up front with with the Terminatrix, and you know, relating her to ideas of consumption and fem and you know and idealized femininity but see but to me they missed the mark well they don't where... do anything with that since and then when arnie's beating her up there is a, a um a nasty taste left a, a nasty flavor of domestic violence in there that i'm deeply uncomfortable with see that, we build uh, that the, i feel be... like it build the woman up and then we knock her down oh see i didn't get that oh so basically what me, you're saying she's... is, whatever problem I have with this movie is a success for you, <laughs> whatever you, problem you have with this movie is a success yeah. for me. Well, she's, 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 she's a better Terminator than he is. She's, she's very Black Widow-y. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if it's a foreshadow. But it's not. What? How do you? What do you think of her performance? I don't. It's. It's a. She's a. She's good. She's fine. Yeah. I told you before you in our favorite. ranking episode, like how good the Terminator is. Mm. And the sort of malevolence, yeah. the idea of how are we going to get out of this matters to me. And she's the least out of all of them. Hmm. Okay. And that to me is a problem. You don't reach, yeah. the, you know, I think Robert Patrick performed the greatest magic trick ever where he gets, he doesn't reach the level of the first Terminator as Arnold Schwarzenegger performed. But I mean, it's just under it. Hmm. I think you... I, I think I want I want something that is looser than what she's doing, but not as loose as what um, Grace is doing in in Dark Fate. Like I want somewhere in between. Hmm. Like the, I, I don't get the uh, yeah. I I I think I think that's that's kind of um, fair to say, but. I don't have any issues with her performance. I, I wish I don't think it's per, I don't think it's particularly good when she's licking blood. Well, that's and about trying what they to want look her to... super mean doing it. I mean, it's obviously, you know, they're, they're trying to they're trying to draw again. They're trying to draw out the gothic horror, the the vampireness of it, um, and then they make her like a xenomorph later on in the movie, which they kind of mm-hmm. do with Robert Patrick at the end of the last movie. So I'm not going to lay the blame entirely at this movie. They make like a, like a hissing dino monster towards the end, which I'd never really like when they do that. And they do that again mm-hmm. here. And, and she wraps her legs around him. It's like, she's full on xenomorph at that point. Right. Um, but I think that's more about choices and, um, I think the the reverse body lock flame in the face is again is a nice sort of WWE Wiley e. Coyote kind of dimension to it, which we had in the last movie, and you copped to that too. That there was like a it just got a bit Wiley e. Coyote at some point. So again, I don't think this is off brand at all. It's just no. that this movie owns up to celebrating the kitschier, more laughier, laughier, laughable elements of the series as well as the harder and serious ones. disagree wow i saw one of those uh arnie <laughs> arriving in the past tumbleweeds there <laughs> <laughs> and this floor is about to turn into glass wow <laughs> and there are a few well, alien, i was gonna there are a few alien references well there's a few cameron references in this movie i believe he is executive producer right still wait who cameron yeah uh when she, when they say just die you bitch, I'm obviously thinking of aliens. That feels aliens, yeah. Um, in an earlier action sequence, there's a fireball that just comes out of nowhere, and I I, I like to think James Cameron would have been proud of that. <laughs> a random. <laughs> All right, fireball. fine. Uh, uh, a credit check or anything left for you on Terminator Three? Yeah, I, I, like a few. Well, I mean, I suppose we've talked extensively about about the ending. I think it's really impressive. I think it's a a really impressive. It's it's oh, it's ambitious. I, I I don't. I remember being struck by it at the time. I've had conversations with people. It's like they really did. You know, they they blew up the world like Planet of the Apes style. Um. Uh. I like 
the fact that they turn Arnie back into a villain. So he gets to relive both characters mm-hmm. that he's played in both one and two. Because he gets reprogrammed to kill for a brief yeah. period. Before, But he fights it, which is fucking stupid. Why is that stupid? Going by your T2 love, you should love that kind of sentimental... He's got it within him to become human shit. It's binary. Well, so none of T2 should happen. <laughs> By that logic. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll suspend my disbelief on that one. I admit that for T2, I think, how did they get that Terminator? How did they reprogram yeah. it? What happened? What was the process? But you just have to accept it. So it, it's a given. Yeah. I, I just I, all I'm going to say is I think ending with an apocalypse. In this movie, you watch it happen on screen in real time. Two minutes after he becomes villainous. Yeah, that's true. And they just go. That's horseshit. You know, it, there's a certain slasher logic about him die. You know, like dying and then coming back, and then the Terminatrix does the sh- does the same. But mm-hmm. I think he he has a beautiful demise that they then undercut by him coming back again and again, and. We just go round the houses again and again with the Terminator and the Terminatrix fighting each other. It gets a little bit out of hand. But in Thank the end, you. I'd say, like, ending this movie with an apocalypse is the equivalent of this movie putting its money where its mouth is. It's like, yeah, this is a movie about a future apocalypse, and but we're, we're going to let it happen. We're not going to try and stop it. Um, and it's shot with a weird, creepy beauty that I really respond to. Again, Doctor, I'm getting Doctor Strange love. I'm getting Planet of the Apes, Twilight Zone vibes from from all of this. Uh, the battle has just begun. Is the final line of the movie in voiceover, of mm-hmm. course. Um, and this makes me think that maybe Salvation was less of an accident than it seems. Like that, maybe they knew they were going there. Um, that they were going to carry on chronologically. Oh, I don't think so. Really? No. I mean, yeah, because why would you? But just that line. I mean, it's also like, you know, also leaves it open enough to like, yeah, you do what the fuck you want from now on. (laughs) (laughs) We've just blown up shit for you. Um, Okay, credit check. Uh, This is extensive. Um, Oh. More so than even my other credit checks. Paramedic number one is played by Michael Papajohn, taking a break from his pizza empire to do some extra work in this movie. Wow. Um, what's up with the color coding of camera directors? Is this something that happens in any other movie? Each camera director is broken down into a color. I did not notice. Is this one of Arnie's... Con- contract- contractual obligations? I will only work with the red directors. The orange directors are not allowed to look at me. Um, the sound in this movie was re-recorded at the Sony Cary Grant Theatre, which oh. made me wonder if everything comes back sounding like Cary Grant when you've re-recorded it. <laughs> I'll be back. Um, yeah, so so I assume that most of this movie was digital. The oh, Stan, so much of it. The Stan Winston studio are credited... So there's some practical makeup or animatronics at at least one part of this movie. My guess... That's the other thing. Like, from now on, anytime you go to the past, it's digital Terminators, and it always looks bad. Yeah. Compared to Cameron's 
withstand Winston practical, yeah. upright but, Terminators. But my, my my guess is that um, my guess is the hang the the Arnie's hanging head was a practical effect. That's my speculation in this movie. Hmm. And that, or any any kind of moment where we we um, we reference something from the first movie to do with the Terminator, like the hanging head or him, his metal hand. I think there are practical elements in there, but it's just a guess. Because um, otherwise, I don't know where the practical work is in this movie. Yeah, exactly. Um, according to the song credits, this, the uh, song on the soundtrack called Sugar contains words written by the director, Jonathan Mosto. Oh, no. There's an Atari video game based on this movie. Which is fascinating. Not one of the biggest sellers, I'll bet. Was there a renaissance of Atari in the early 80s? Isn't that an obsolete technology by 2003? <laughs> like uh, like Arnie's Terminator model himself? Was this, was this a joke? Right. Uh, and and that's all I've got. It, it, I, I don't like the... Um, I don't like the fact that the movie ends with this kind of sub-corn... Limp Biscuit grunge rock rap track. I mean, yes, just one of the many mistakes this movie makes. Yeah, I'd like I'd like them to have gone a little bit more traditional and just give the give the Brad Thedle theme. Uh, but give me some of that. I mean, you know, we got musically. We've got musically. I think we've already shipped the bed, bad to the bone, macho man, and we got. Um, Bad boys coming up, haven't we, as well? Yeah. So that's all I had. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Tom and I have not come to a consensus, so we we're gonna need your help. When was the? Uh, is there another time that we've disagreed more? Probably Karate Kid Three, right? Yeah, I would. Yeah. Because right. you sort of came around, or at least acknowledged that I had a point with. Um, Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin. But uh, you didn't bend at all on Karate Kid 3. No. Um, but you, I got you a haven't good story seen for season you. 4 of Cobra Kai yet, so... No. That, if anything is going to change your mind <laughs> on that... I if have, anything uh, is going to change have... your mind about Terry Silver, it is that program. Um, <laughs> okay, fine. Unfortunately, I, I don't think Terminator 3 has a, has a Cobra Kai in its future. I don't. I, I, I don't think either. But I have a friend who had never seen Cobra, or, or rather, Karate Kid. Yeah. So I had her watch Karate Kid, and then she said to me, but Karate Kid too, just terrible. And I said, oh, really? You hated it? And she said, yeah. I mean, Terry Silva? Just the worst ever. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Hang on a second. Because that's Karate Kid 3. Oh. She said, no, that's Karate Kid 2. And I said, no. She said, no, I know I watch Karate Kid 2. And she, we you know, started getting on the Googles, and she had somehow skipped Karate Kid 2, watched Karate Kid 3, and hated it so much I couldn't convince her to go back and watch Karate Kid 2. I think she was right on both counts. <laughs> because So Cassie Brown, shout out. I just because that movie might as well not exist. 
Uh, um, and also, you know, why why would you go back to the well? <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, if you have a concern or a comment for Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines, you're going to have to let us know who's right and who's wrong. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, Michael Schantz here of the How Dare You Awards. Say goodbye, Tom. Levity is good. (laughs) That's a lesson you could learn as well, Mike. (laughs) I love levity. Nobody bigger in the business, baby. (laughs) This movie sucks. <laughs> the views of Michael Shantz do not represent the Everything Sequel podcast. <laughs> All right. Stay tuned, everybody. Fucking Terminator it's Salvation. It's not going to get better for Mike, at, at least. least. We're going to agree, at least. I think there might be disagreement over quite how bad it is. <laughs> All right. I think, you know, it'll be like the I have a headache, I have a brain tumor kind of conversation. So stay tuned for that, everyone. Coming up on your next episode. So long.